Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I, will make you, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and went after him. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. If I asked you to summarize for me the story of Jonah, how would you, how would you summarize it? We'd probably get different answers depending upon who we asked, right? If you ask a little kid, what's the story of Jonah, they probably tell you, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish and then the fish spits him up on the shore and he's covered in the whale saliva you, right? If you ask a teacher or many pastors, they might focus on the, the wonderful miracle of God's grace to Nineveh. The, the prophet Jonah goes to Nineveh and proclaims the word of God and through that word, by the power of that word, God changes their hearts, they repent, and they are saved. Both of those are great answers. Nothing wrong with either one. However, you notice that both answers only focus on one part of the account, right? The, f- the fish, the sea creature, the whale, whatever you want to call it. That's one part of the story. It's not the whole story. The preaching to Nineveh and their repentance, that's one part of the story. It's, it's not the whole story. And in fact, we saw in our Old Testament reading this morning, it was only six verses. Seven, sorry, seven verses. From the time Jonah starts preaching until they repent and God doesn't destroy them, there's only seven verses in the entire book of Jonah. If we want to summarize the whole book of Jonah, we probably have to back up a bit and realize that it's not about the fish and it's not about even the city of Nineveh. It's about Jonah. The book of Jonah is the story of God taking this one man who shows himself very obviously in the book to be sinful, prideful, arrogant. Probably not somebody we would choose as a a candidate for the ministry. When God tells him go, he goes the other way. When God tells him preach, he does it, but he doesn't really want to. And then he sits and pouts on a hill. God takes this one man, this sinner... And by the end of the book, he's changed Jonah's heart to understand and to have mercy on sinners, other sinners who need God's grace, God's repentance. That's what God does, doesn't he? When God needs ministers, when God needs preachers of the gospel, he finds sinners, just like Jonah. He calls them into the ministry, and then he makes them 
fishers of men. He molds them into what he needs. Why is Jonah a prophet? Why is Jonah a preacher of the gospel? Everything we, we hear about him in the book of Jonah is, is not very good. It's mostly negative. He's a, he's a preacher of the gospel. He's a prophet for one reason and one reason only. Because God called him to do it. God said, go. In our text, John the Baptist, his ministry, his time of preaching was over. That's the first thing we hear in our text, right? John the Baptist was betrayed. He was delivered into prison, and later on he was beheaded. His ministry was, was finished. Now, Herod is the one who threw him in prison, and, and Herod is the one who beheaded him, and that was Herod's sin, right? That was his choice. He chose to sin and, and do this great evil, but it wasn't Herod who decided that John the Baptist's ministry was at an end. That was Jesus' decision. That was God's decision. God decided that this man, his ministry was at an end, but the preaching of the gospel did not stop. The first thing that Jesus did when John the Baptist was thrown into prison, what do we read in our text? He did two things. First, he went and he proclaimed the gospel, right? One man's ministry was ended, but the preaching of the gospel was not ended. Jesus proclaimed that same message of repentance and calling people into the kingdom of God. But secondly, he found four new preachers of the gospel. Where before there was one, now we have four where was Jesus going to find men to replace John the Baptist? John the Baptist uh, was himself. Jesus says of John the Baptist, he was the greatest of those born among women. A great preacher of the gospel. Where is he going to find men to fill his shoes to replace John the Baptist? Where is he going to find men in general to, to preach the gospel? Men qualified for that, that ministry. Of course, the answer is, he's not. He's not going to find men that are already ready, already qualified, is he? But instead, he goes, and, he, and in our text, it seems very much like he's just choosing randomly, and by his grace, molds them into preachers of the gospel. These four men that Jesus calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John, what qualifications made them Jesus's choice. We could broaden the question a little bit. What about all the 12 apostles? Why did Jesus choose those 12? What qualifications, what characteristics was he, he looking for that, that those men shared? Again, none. From all appearances, he just seems to randomly choose. He walks by the sea and grabs a couple fishermen, Later on, there's a tax collector, then a, a zealot, what we might call a monk. Some of them highly educated, some of them poorly educated, some of them rich, some of them poor. They have almost nothing in common. Not only that, but you know, if you look through, we have four Gospels, right? We have four Gospels that tell us about the ministry of Christ. And if you look through those four Gospels and ask yourself, 
where does it discuss the qualification of the apostles, of the disciples, of those whom Christ calls to, to follow him into the ministry? You're never going to find anything. The Gospels don't discuss that. And not only do they not discuss the qualifications of these men, but what we do know about these men, just like what we do know about Jonah, seems to show us that they're disqualified, right? Virtually every time the apostles speak, virtually every time the apostles do something, it's the wrong thing. Generally, we only hear about them when they're making mistakes. What do we know about these 12 apostles? You think of Peter? You think of a man who often talks without thinking, finds his foot in his mouth pretty often? You think of James and John? They're called the sons of thunder, men who were quick to anger and actually asked Jesus to call down thunder and lightning on one city. You've got to get revenge on them, Jesus, because they wouldn't listen to you preaching. Not only that, but they went behind the other apostles' backs and tried to get Jesus to make them second and third in command. Think of Judas, the betrayer. Think of Thomas, the doubter, right? Almost everything we know. In fact, I'll I'll give you guys a, a little challenge here. See if you can think of any account, any story in the Gospels that the apostles did the right thing. Those of you who come to Bible class, you can, if you think of one, you can tell me at Bible class. I'm not saying they're not there, but they're pretty rare. Mostly, these men show themselves to be sinners, unqualified for the, the ministry that Jesus has called them into. And that's the whole point, isn't it? If Jesus waited to find qualified individuals, he would never, never find anybody. There would be no more preachers of the gospel, but he doesn't do that. He goes out and he calls these men for reasons he has of his own, which he doesn't share with us, and he makes them. He molds them into preachers of the gospel. The only thing that these men have in common is the call. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's that call and that call alone that make people teachers and pastors, ministers of the gospel. In fact, Jesus makes that very clear in our text, doesn't he? Because he doesn't say, hey, you guys are fishermen, so you already know how to fish, so that'll make you good at fishing for men. That's not what he says, does he? He doesn't say, yeah, you're a good fisherman. He says, come and I will make you fishers of men. You're not now, but I will mold you and create ministers of the gospel from you. This is what Jesus does. Through that calling, he creates men whom he sends out to preach the gospel. For those uh, young men and women among us today, as you consider your future and what you're going to, and where your life is going to lead you and what God is going to do with your life, probably one of the first things you want to consider is, is God calling me into the ministry? How are you going to know if God is calling you into the ministry? 
Paul, of course, in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1, gives us a, a list of qualifications. He says a bishop, a, a pastor, a teacher should have these qualifications. And those lists can be helpful in, in considering that ministry, in considering that call. That's true. They can kind of help us to think about it. Sometimes Jesus can use those lists to let us know if he's calling us or not. But ultimately, the question boils down to one thing and one thing only. Is Jesus calling you? And so as you consider your future, you probably want to start just with a simple prayer. Jesus, are you calling me into the ministry? And if he says yes, will you answer that call? Will you leave all like the disciples do in our text? Leave their father in the boat with the hired servants and go and dedicate your life to that calling. For the rest of us, there's an important question behind this text as well. We have another question to consider. And the question for the rest of us is, when was the last time we prayed that the Lord would call young men and women into the ministry of the gospel? There's a great need for that in our church, in our nation, in, in the world today. When the ministry of John the Baptist ended in our text, we see how Jesus chose four more. One ended and, and four took up the calling, the preaching of the gospel. Later on, twelve. And then seventy. And then even more, as the Lord called even more through them. Well, where's that fourfold replacement of ministers in our day. When one minister ends his ministry, it seems like instead of four new ones to take his place, we have four or twelve less. The work isn't growing less. If anything, the work is growing larger. If anything, there's more of a need for ministers, for preachers of the gospel in our day than in our grandfather's or in our great-grandfather's day. And yet there's fewer and fewer. Jesus reminds his disciples at that time too, the harvest is white, is ready. The fields are white, sorry. The fields are white, the harvest is, is ready. But the problem is, where are the laborers? And there's only one solution, Jesus tells us. Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. The only way we're going to get workers is if Jesus calls them and molds them and takes sinners and creates out of them preachers of the gospel. Pray, therefore, Jesus says, that he may send even more. We spend so much of our time praying for things that we, we think that we need or things that we think that we want. Here's something that we need desperately and that Jesus tells us to pray for. When was the last time you remembered to pray that the Lord would send out laborers into his harvest? Jesus came to this earth to give us the greatest gift of all, to give us the forgiveness of sins, to give us salvation and the way to heaven. And he gives that gift to us through the preaching of the gospel. 
preaching of the gospel is accomplished through the ministers whom Christ calls into the ministry. Sinners whom Christ molds to do his work. That work is by no means less today than it was 2,000 years ago, but the faithful workers are becoming fewer. The only solution, the only solution Jesus gives us is pray to the Lord of the harvest. Psalm 68:11. The Lord gave the word, great was the company of those who proclaimed it. In Ephesians 4, 8, 11, and 12. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. What are the gifts? He himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Christ creates ministers, preachers, and teachers of the gospel. Pray that he would give us the gift of far more faithful ministers. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.